If we all think back in our lives, most of us can remember the moment that stole our childhood. Maybe it was a death in the family or a move to a new school that made you question all that you thought you knew about life at a young age. For me, I think that day was when my granny died. My granny created so much magic for all of my cousins. The ordinary was turned into the extraordinary. Each day spent with her was filled with laughter and hugs and joy. The day she died, my world became a little darker at the age of 11. I started to understand what death was, and the world I once knew, full of magic and dreams, became a little more real. Beyond the idea of a person losing some of their innocence is the idea of an entire city realizing that maybe they may not be as safe as they once thought they were. Sometimes an event rocks a city so hard they begin locking their doors when deadbolts used to remain open because there was never any need to lock them anyways. The case we're going to discuss today was the reason one large city found people locking their doors at night. Women filling water guns with ammonia to better fight off an attacker. Children being kept home from playdates. And local figures discussing if Halloween should be canceled. Religious members also began to question the trustworthiness of their pastors when one local pastor found himself a suspect in a brutal homicide. Police searched on foot for the person responsible for the death of three family members. But 57 years later, this community is still wondering who killed this family and why. This is the story of the Sims family murders. Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. Allison, before we start recording tonight, or I guess we're already recording, but before we get into (laughs) the juice of the episode, I thought that we should take just a second to acknowledge... A huge accomplishment, not just for us, but for also our sleuth hounds. I know. To, this is big. Yeah. Because today, you are listening to our 200th episode. That is wild. Is nuts. Yeah. I cannot believe we've been doing this for 200 episodes. And I never thought... You know, back in 2019, when we sat in the classroom and was like, hey, you want to start a podcast? Yeah. Sure. Like, (laughs) I never imagined that we would get to the 200th episode. I know. Yeah. And, you know, all the listeners that we have, not only Mm -hmm. here in the U.S., but across the globe. And, Mm -hmm. oh, my goodness. I'm just overjoyed. Yeah, because I remember when we posted the first episode, we were like, nobody's going to listen to this. We'll be happy if we have 50 people listen. Right. Like, that'll be success. And now we have thousands of people that listen each week, which is mind-blowing. Which is wild. crazy. You know, it's been a lot of work, but honestly, I feel like worth it. Mm Mm-hmm. Definitely. And especially when you think about the families who we've Mm -hmm. been able to just be another voice and get those stories out there and oh man it there's nothing that compares yeah and we wouldn't be where we are without our sleuth hounds that listen in each week right we have made friends like our sleuth hounds are not they're not listeners they are friends yeah agree and so here's the 200 more episodes. That's here at right. Coffee and Cases. That's right. Let's keep it going. May as well at this yeah. point. <laughs> yeah, right. We're committed now. That's right. 
So today's case reminds me slightly, and it's kind of a stretch, but it maybe you'll see it. Okay. Of Evelyn Hartley's case. That was mm-hmm. episode 163. Okay. Because not really so much in the details of the case, but more so in the context of some of the things that take place during the episode are kind of similar. Okay. I mean, nothing like, you know, losing a shoe or right, right. finding the shoe or anything like that. But mm-hmm. just like in Evelyn's case, today's case also begins with the football game. Because remember, mm-hmm. it was in homecoming. her story, she was mm-hmm, she was babysitting for like a professor. Right. And this case also involves babysitting. Okay. So, there's how I made my connection. I gotcha. I'm following. <laughs> So, we're going to go back to October 22nd, 1966, when almost everyone in the then much smaller town of Tallahassee had made plans to watch the Florida State football game. So, because of that, a lot of the younger people in town were called upon for their babysitting services because parents were, like, at the game or at watch parties or things like that. Right, right. So because of that, the streets and the typically on any game night, the streets of Tallahassee would pretty much be empty because everyone went to the games or went somewhere to watch the game. So there wasn't a lot of people just out and about, you know, especially okay. while the game was on. Right. They're inside the bar, inside a home watching yeah. on the TV. Yeah. But on this particular night, there was one family which consisted of 42-year-old dad named Robert Mom Helen, who was 34, daughter Joy, who was 12, daughter Judith, who was 15, and daughter Norma, who was 17. This family didn't go to the game, or most of them didn't, or and they didn't go to like any type of watch party. They stayed home at their home on Merrill Court Drive. Okay. So I guess they're just not into football, or? I don't know. You know, I never really... Now, I never really read anywhere why they stayed home. And not all of them did stay home. I read that 15-year-old Judith. And listen, the names in this were a little bit confusing. For this to be a, like, more notorious crime for Tallahassee, Mm -hmm. there was a lot of details in this that, like, not everybody was on the same page. And they were doing their research and writing about it. A lot of conflicting information. Yeah. Because in some articles I read that Judy or Judith, I'm assuming this is the one they called Judy. That was never really clarified in what I read, um, was babysitting. And Norma Jeanette, but various articles called her Jeannie. And I'm assuming Jeannie and Jeanette's the same person, was at the game. Okay, so hold on. So we have the family, mom and dad, and there are three daughter, mm-hmm. daughters. 17-year-old mm-hmm. Norma, 15-year-old mm-hmm. Judith, and then 12-year-old mm-hmm. Joy. Yes. But Judith, the middle daughter, mm-hmm. was away babysitting at another home. According and, to some sources, yeah. Okay, according to some sources. And oldest daughter norma Mm -hmm. she was at the game so really the only ones at home are mom dad and the 12 year old joy yeah and there are some say that say norma was also babysitting so there's like some oh instead of being the game okay Uh but she was away yeah nonetheless okay yeah and then there's some that don't even mention judith at all Oh. In the research. It's like the middle daughter oh. syndrome in uh, Brady Bunch. Right? Yeah. Like there's. Marsha, Marsha, Marsha. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> Just gets forgotten about, apparently. But but in most of, like, the bigger, like, sources that you and I would look at, mm-hmm. they did mention Judith. And a lot of them said that Norma was at the game. So that's where okay. we're going with. Or okay. what we're going with. But, I mean, regardless of really what they were doing, it doesn't change how the story right. pans out. Right. 
So while everyone in town appeared, like everything in town appeared to be normal, there was actually something very horrific happening in town. So as Florida State fans celebrated a 10-1 victory over Mississippi State, one family was literally dying. Wow. So as I mentioned, there's some varying info, but one fact remains the same. Norma came home a little bit after 11, and she was surprised when she found an empty house. She didn't understand where everybody could have been, and her soon normal and eventful evening turned into a night that was really unforgettable for her. So when she comes in, the television was on, and she expects that her family would be there watching something on tv okay but they're not there and so she thought this was really strange because it just wasn't like them to leave the tv on if they had all you know for example gone to bed or something like that oh right plus you know i I never really thought about it until you were just saying this like today in today's time it could be 11 o'clock and while i would be home in bed many people are not And I feel Mm -hmm. like that's even more common today, maybe because a lot of places are open later Mm -hmm. or all night now. Like, why not go to Walmart at 11 p.m.? You could. Right. If you needed to. But back then you couldn't. Mm -hmm. So it it makes sense that I would be more worried, I guess, back then if I come home and the TV's on, but nobody's there. You wouldn't think, oh, they've probably gone to McDonald's for a Sunday. You know, you you wouldn't think that. If the ice cream machine's working. That's true. If it's working. So, because she expected them to be home, and they weren't, she's, like, calling out to them, thinking maybe they're in the kitchen, you know, grabbing a snack or something like that. But nobody answered. So, she just starts to walk through the house looking for them. And eventually, she entered her parents' bedroom. The door was cracked just a little bit. And there, she found a very gruesome discovery oh, no. so in the bedroom she did find her missing parents and her sister mm. however all three were bound their mouths were stuffed with stockings or socks different things that the killer or killers had found in the bedroom mm. robert and helen were blindfolded which at first i was like why just those two? But then there's a detail later on that you're like, oh, okay. That makes oh, a little no. sense. Oh, no. Now I'm nervous. Now, do we know, did it say in anything what they were bound with? Were they also bound with items that were from the home? Or did whoever did yeah. this bring with them whatever it was that they bound them with? No, um, I did find in the research that just like what was in their mouths it was the same type of objects that were used to ba- to bind their arms so like pantyhose okay. stockings uh, t- ties like that type of thing cuz in my head of course you know i'm already thinking of motive and different things like that and so then i was thinking okay because you said their mouths were stuffed with things that were in the home i thought well maybe whoever broke in or whatever thought that they would be gone to the game like everybody else and then of course weren't prepared when there were people there and so had to use Mm -hmm. things from the home i don't know continue that's a good point okay so she finds her dad robert who was really high up actually in the state education department she found him on the bed he had been shot in the head her mom helen had been shot in the head multiple times and once in the leg. Hmm. And the little sister seemed to get the brunt end of everything. Hmm. She was actually stabbed six times, Allison, before she was shot in the head. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. Yeah. So far to me, in my FBI psychoanalysis, it seems like both of the females got a lot more violent mm-hmm. uh reactions mm-hmm. from the perpetrator yeah and you know i mentioned that they were blindfolded and at first i was like that's really random but then 
Norma finds that Joy's panties were pulled down and there was oh, evidence that no. she was molested. <gasps> mm-hmm. oh, no. Yeah. And like her cheek was even bruised like she'd been hit in the face. And so I'm wondering oh. if they blindfolded Robert and Helen while they did that oh, to Joy. Gosh. Oh my goodness. Oh mm-hmm. my gosh. Yeah. Wow. And she's only 12. I mean, it's oh. gruesome and horrible in any oh. circumstance, but she's a baby. Oh my goodness. Amazingly, though, according to an article posted on the website called Amateur Sleuth, both Robert and Helen were actually still alive when Norma <gasps> walked into the room. They weren't dead. Wow. Robert. Now, Robert didn't survive very long. Mm. Helen, though, who was found on the carpet, actually would die like nine days later, I think is what it said, in the hospital. But she died before regaining consciousness. So she was never able to say anything about what happened. Norma, of course, calls an ambulance service. She actually called a Tallahassee funeral home ambulance service. And she, in that call said, quote, something terrible has happened. Please come. Cause she is young. T- I mean, she's only 17. That's so traumatic. Mm-hmm. And I've read um, too, that both her and Judith, I actually think I may mention it later on, um, have really never spoken publicly a lot about what happened mm-hmm. because can you imagine that like no. i don't know that i would be i mean no. i know a lot of our families they are strong enough to come forward but i don't know that i would be able to at 17 no you know that would be so traumatic well and to think i i don't want to minimize what any of our families go through with the loss of a loved one mm-hmm. from foul play and then you yeah then imagine losing Three family members at the same time. Mm-hmm. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, you don't you don't get over something like that. And she actually stayed with her parents, like looking at their bound bodies until someone arrived at the scene. Oh. And it looked like the attacks actually didn't happen too long before she got home. This was later confirmed when a neighbor claimed that they heard screams around 1045 because she got home between like 11 and 1115. And then body temperatures also indicated that whoever killed them left just moments before um, Norma got back from the game and or babysitting. That was in the Tallahassee Democrat. Wow. So two things with that. Number one, I think it would be if you see, especially if she realized that her parents were still alive Obviously, you're wanting to care for them until the ambulance gets there, which Mm -hmm. means by doing that, you're contaminating the crime scene. But you're not going to just stand there. I mean, you're going to, you know, get down and and check and help and all of that. But number two, that could have been catastrophic for Norma, too, had she either gotten home from babysitting or the game, whichever it was that she did that night even 15 minutes earlier. Yeah. And I didn't read if she, I mean, I'm sure she, I mean, I don't know. Maybe she saw it and then, you know, immediately called 911 and she was almost like paralyzed and couldn't go any further into the room. Maybe Uh I didn't read where she touched the bodies, but there was some contamination that we'll talk about here in a little bit. Okay. But I do think this is like a really good, like life lesson, please call 911 if you hear or see something out of the ordinary or suspicious in your neighborhood. Yeah. If I heard a scream. Yeah. I mean, that would be, at least I would, well, it depends on how scared I was myself. I'd either call them if I have their number to check it out or Mm -hmm. maybe call 911. Yeah, because I'm sure... Like a thousand percent sure that your neighbor would rather the police show up and you have to say, oh, no, we saw a giant spider right. killed a snake or something. Then no one come 
to help in their most desperate time of need. Right. So just make the call. Yeah. But because Norma's arrival home was so close to the time her family was killed, many question if Robert, Helen, and Joy were always the focus of the attack. Or if, like you said, it was just a coincidence that they were the only ones home at the time. That's what my gut is telling me. Yeah. And investigators found no sign of a forced entry. Nothing had been stolen because money was left just sitting out, you know, on their dresser or whatever. Hmm. They speculated that because the home was on a ridge behind the Northwood Mall that was like overlooking a creek, Mm -hmm. they speculated that drainage ditches that left from the Sims home to go down to the creek, you know, for rainwater or whatever. Right. Were how the killer approached the home. That's one Mm -hmm. speculation. And then some believe that they would have been comfortable enough to walk around in the neighborhood without raising suspicion. So maybe someone who lived close by. Oh, and then of course, this is probably, you know, you mentioned small town, you mentioned they began locking deadbolts. So uh, this was Mm -hmm. a different time when a lot of people left doors unlocked. And so it could have been the case that maybe they were, you know, watching television and that's why they didn't hear someone enter the home especially if they came through a back door or something because they had come through this drainage ditch. But I am curious about motive, even though I think it seems to me opportunistic. And I say that because if they, if the targets were only mom, dad, and joy, then why not come near the beginning of the game when the game had started and know that the other two daughters aren't coming home versus 15 minutes before any of them are due home. So that that makes me feel like it was a crime of opportunity, but the motive, I don't know. Yeah. And you know, another reason, if we're thinking about it could be someone that lived in the neighborhood and would have been comfortable walking the streets and it not raise any suspicion, mm-hmm. it could also be that there was no forced entry because it would be perfectly normal if that person knocked on their door like the hey can i have a cup of sugar type of neighbor you know what i mean yeah but whoever had done this most believe seemed to know the sims and most believe had a personal motive for the murders and we'll kind of talk about that in the second part Mm -hmm. of today's episode but we still like you said wonder who would hurt this family Henry Cabbage, who was a researcher for this murder, like he pretty much dedicated the majority of his life to researching this homicide, like knew so much about it that he had planned to write a book, told the Tallahassee Democrat, quote, there's no apparent reason why the Simses should have been targeted. It was a very middle class church going family whose children were good students at Raw Middle School and Leon High. The Simses were unlikely victims, but they were victims. End quote. My daughter and I love smoothies, but what we don't love are smoothie bar prices. With our Blendjet 2 Portable Blender, we can make smoothie bar quality drinks for a fraction of the price. Blendjet 2 is portable, so you can blend up a smoothie at work, a protein shake at the gym, or even a margarita on the beach. And it's small enough to fit into a cup holder, but powerful enough to blast through tough ingredients like ice and frozen fruit with ease. Even better, Blendjet 2 is whisper quiet, so you can make your morning smoothie without waking up the whole house. Plus, it lasts for 15 plus blends and recharges quickly via a USB-C. You guys have heard me say it before, and I'll say it again. Best of all, the Blendjet 2 cleans itself. Just blend water with a drop of soap, and you're good to go. Plus, they have so many trendy colors to choose from. The hardest choice will be which design you want to rock. We also want to introduce you to the Orbiter Drinking Lid. The Orbiter Drinking Lid balances a leak-proof design with one-hand use convenience and a modern minimalist design. The Orbiter drinking lid is so easy to use, you only need one hand. Blendjet's patent-pending design allows you to open and drink by simply rotating the lid with your thumb. Just when we thought the Blendjet 2 couldn't get any better, it did. 
Now you can blend anywhere without spilling everywhere. So what are you waiting for? Go to blendjet.com and grab yours today. And be sure to use the promo code Coffee and Cases Blendjet to get 12% off your order and free two-day shipping. No other portable blender on the market comes close to the quality, power, and innovation of the Blendjet 2. They guarantee you'll love it or your money back. Blend anytime, anywhere with a Blendjet 2 portable blender. Go to blendjet.com and use the code Coffee and Cases Blendjet to get 12% off your order and free two day shipping. Shop today and get the best deal ever. I don't know if it's been the same for you, but it feels like the price of everything keeps rising and my bank account keeps shrinking. Even when I had money passively sitting in investment accounts, those funds rarely rise at the rate of inflation, leaving me feeling like I was in the same boat. All of my money was going somewhere, but never coming back to me. The age of stock picking is here. With towering inflation and elevating interest rates, sticking your money in a passive market fund just isn't going to get you what it used to. But it doesn't mean you have to abandon the market. There are still ways to invest for the future. You just need to know where to look, which is where The Motley Fool comes in. The Motley Fool Stock Advisor Service highlights two stocks each and every month for members to add to their portfolios, and it literally has paid to listen to them. Historically, their average stock recommendation is up over 400% as of April 10th, 2023, and listeners of Coffee and Cases can now access Motley Fool Stock Advisor for just $89 for their first year. That's a full $110 off the list price. What are you waiting for? Visit fool.com forward slash coffee and cases to start your investing journey today. Did you know that dehydration is the leading cause of daytime fatigue? I was shocked to learn that even mild dehydration can cause headaches, muscle weakness, and brain fog. But luckily, there's a solution. Cure. Cure believes that hydration should be simple and effective, but also clean and natural. That's why they use only the highest quality plant-based ingredients and avoid any artificial or harmful additives. They're committed to transparency and honesty. All of their ingredients are clearly listed on their website and packaging, and they're always happy to answer any questions or concerns. Ready to combat dehydration? Try Cure today and feel the difference for yourself. Use code COFFEEINCASES for 20% off your order. So if you remember, I said that Norma called that funeral home ambulance service. Right. And those were the next people to arrive at the scene. So it was Russell Beavis who owned the funeral home that Norma had called and his 16-year-old son, Rocky. Oh, goodness. Now another child is going to see this. The Mm 16-year-old. And when they get there... They see that Helen and Robert were still alive. So they both work to untie the two. Now, this is how I also would have reacted. I guess. I mean, I, none of us truly know how we would react right. seeing a scene like this. But I would like to think that if I arrived on the scene where two people were fighting for their lives, I would work to free them from those bonds. Because yes. in my mind... I want them to have every possible chance of survival. And to me, that's part of that. Right. Which, though, I'm sure this is what you were mentioning earlier, means additional contamination. Yeah. Because. But that's exactly what I would do. I can't blame. No. Russell and Rocky for doing that. Right. But at the same time, like we just said, many say they compromised part of the crime scene. But I just don't think I could have left two people who are still alive bound like that. Right. Well, but even if it's just, you know, I think about when you just feel, say, claustrophobic. You almost feel like you've you've got to get out of whatever room you're in or space you're in so you can just breathe. And I'm sure that would be the case if they're they're still alive, but they're tightly bound. Mm-hmm. And that's what would be going through my head, too. And I don't know this. I'm assuming Robert was in far worse condition because he died shortly after. But I don't know, you know, and if they're struggling against those or, you know, moving, then I would have to do something. I couldn't just let them lay there like that. Right. Yeah. 
But given the fact that the knots used to bound the sims were a specialized knot, they were a granny knot. I have no idea what that is. I can barely knot my shoes. It's like when you take two ropes and you bind them together. Hmm. But they used that knot on all three of the family members. And like I mentioned before, they used materials from the house. So things like mm. lingerie, socks, pantyhose, ties, that type of thing. Okay. And because robbery was quickly ruled out as a motive, that leaves us with the conclusion that many hold that the murders were planned and that the killer or killers even spent time cleaning the scene and oh. suggested that some suggest as we talked also that it would be someone who was comfortable being seen in the neighborhood without raising any type of concern or suspicion but i would get i would understand if it, this were say a targeted attack and it were by a neighbor or somebody close to the family and the parents are the victims because adults can make people angry. But I, mm -hmm. I don't know. I'm sure a 12-year-old could make somebody angry too, but not angry enough to do what they did to her. Well, think about it more as a crime of passion, potentially, which is disgusting, but it will make sense here in a little bit. Okay. So, because we don't really have a lot to go on, the investigators are like, okay, let's figure out why this happened. You know, what is a motive? Because we know it's not robbery, so what could right. it have been? Robert was well-liked and highly thought of in the community. So, they're like, who would want to hurt this guy? Right. Because everybody likes him. Helen taught Sunday school. She was the church secretary. She had a lot of friends in the community. So again, they're like, who would want to kill Helen? Makes mm -hmm. no sense. The kids were well-liked at school. They performed well academically. They had a lot of friends as well. They didn't have anybody that was angry with them at the moment. Particularly Joy. I mean, she's 12. What's she going right. to do? Take somebody's Barbie doll? Right. Like, I don't... So who right. would want to kill her? There were very few, if any, real leads to speak of. So investigators are like, all right, let's look around the outside of the house. Mm. They drained right. a nearby pond in the hopes that, you know, the murder weapons would have been discarded in this pond. But they found nothing. Jeez. So by this point, the town was in an uproar. News of this triple homicide stayed on the front of newspapers for days. There was no sign of the killer. No arrests had been made. No one had been named a suspect. So now everybody's like locking their doors at night. Well, yeah. Trick or treat had to be done before the sun went down. All the kids had to be back home. There was a rush on gun stores because citizens were buying guns knives anything to protect their home women were filling those water pistols with ammonia parents kept their kids home from school they kept them home from sporting sporting events activities yeah. play dates well you best believe if, if my kid went out trick-or-treating i'd be walking with her too i wouldn't let oh, her go yeah. on her own 100 for sure and it didn't help that the police weren't shy that they didn't have a lot to go on they were quoted in a newspaper as saying they had quote no significant clues no leads and no motives wow so they're just kind of like yeah we don't know yeah mm-hmm hmm. yeah there was no forced entry no signs of robbery no signs of struggles the investigators did fingerprint the house and they lifted nearly a thousand fingerprints but the majority of those i'm sure belong to the family mm -hmm. and there was nothing in those prints that led them any closer to finding out who the killer was the murder weapons were never found so, yeah and it's weapons because you have a gun and a knife which i think also is why they think there was two killers because that's just two very different ways it is yeah of killing someone mm-hmm one is much more personal. Yes. 
According to an article called Murders in 1966 Stole Tallahassee's Innocence, police combed through the woods that were behind the Sims's house because remember it was like that ditchy area that Oh right, cuz they think that's how they came in. So they go through all of that. Mhm. And then, you know, that lake at the bottom was drained. They searched through all that mucky stuff, but they found nothing. Mhm. So, because of that, when you have no leads, you have named no suspects, you don't really know what the motive was. So, now, all that's left are rumors, which are going to spread like wildfire. They always do. Rumors and speculation. Thus, one rumor was born that a high-profile member of the city was involved in this homicide. So many began to say that Pastor Roberts, who was the lead pastor at a very prominent church in town, knew something or had something to do with the death of Robert, Helen, and Joy. Okay, why would they think that? So they thought that, Allison, because Helen, you remember I said that she was the church secretary? secretary. Yeah. Had actually just put in her resignation She worked under him at First Baptist Church, so she had quit her job just a few days before she was murdered. But my goodness, quitting a job, jumping from an employee quitting a job to motive for murder and the Mm -hmm. rape of, or at least molestation of a child and the murder of another, that's a big jump. Mm -hmm. Big old jump. Yeah. You know, no one really knows 100% for sure what she put in her resignation letter. But many think that she disapproved of Pastor Robert's philandering ways. He had a lot of affairs with many local women. Mm. And she they think that may have been part of it. I don't know if maybe he hit on her and she turned that down or if she just maybe spoke out against that to his face and he didn't appreciate it so she just quit, you know? I don't know about this theory. I know. And because of like the affairs coming to surface mm-hmm. and the rumors that he was involved in the crime, eventually this destroyed his career. Yeah, I could definitely it see It was that. over. But he was actually at the football game. So not only had he been seen by dozens of witnesses in both halves of the game, there was also video footage of him there. Oh. So he had a really solid alibi. And then he would actually die several years later in a car accident after quitting his job as head pastor. Mm. And still, despite the witnesses and the video footage there are some that say he was involved even though no we clearly know he wasn't there right investigator larry campbell said that even today like i just said there are some who are convinced that roberts had a role in the murder but campbell has never believed that himself and most people that are involved in the case believe that the pastor wasn't involved Mm -hmm. and in that same um, innocence article reverend douglas dorch who's the current well at the time the article was written was the current pastor said quote he was articulate he was everything a congregation would want in a preacher for him to be associated with that murder was a very serious matter as far as our church witness in the community was concerned Many today find great relief and comfort in sheriff campbell's assertion that our pastor was not involved in this murder End quote. So not only did it do damage to him personally, it damaged the reputation of their church as well. Right. Because then they're like, what church is going to hire Right, a I can see that. And Campbell spent most of his life working to try to solve this case, Allison. He spent the rest of his career either chasing down leads or looking into like possible suspects, anything mm-hmm. that could help find answers for the case. Mm-hmm. So before he died, he had actually combed through evidence. He followed every lead and he died. Now, this is the part, I mean, I get it, but I don't. But he died feeling certain 
that he knew who committed the murders. He knew. Like, he would stand before God and say that it was two high school students, a boyfriend and a girlfriend who lived nearby and had supposedly morbid tastes. But he would never come forward because he knew it wouldn't hold up in court. And Mm -hmm. without being able to go to trial he didn't want to ruin somebody's name i guess right wow because supposedly in an article called author says sims murders still make tallahassee shiver in 1987 the girlfriend actually sought out campbell and just wanted to have a hypothetical conversation with him like what would happen if i confessed to these murders or if i confessed that i had some involvement in this and and he was like well duh you'd go to prison hello and so then she like kind of backs off Mm. and won't say anything more and he said that he can never come up with evidence to convict her or her boyfriend and he said in that article quote in those days we didn't have the scientific capabilities to examine evidence we do now if this happened now we'd have somebody in jail tomorrow i think i could go to a grand jury and get an indictment but we couldn't prove it in court, end quote. Wow. So he's pretty confident, though, you know, that if he had the advancements that we have now, back then, that he would have, he would have been able to, to convict. Yeah, make an arrest. Wow. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if... I mean, surely, if it looked like Joy was molested, they took some samples of that, even if they didn't have the technology then. I would hope so. I would hope so, So we should have the technology now if those samples are available. Well, and well-preserved, I guess, is the other thing. True. Yeah. According to Medium.com, there was another couple who fell under suspicion. And this couple was a girl named Mary, who was 19 at the time, and a man named Vernon, who was 21 at the time. And this theory, I think you can easily make fit. Okay. Mary was described as obsessed with death by neighbors that lived near her. She was often caught breaking into funeral homes. Oh, my. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And Campbell had a theory that someone involved in this had this obsession with necrophilia. And so that, to me, fits mm. that description. Wow. Mary's boyfriend, Vernon was also creepy in the fact that he was a peeping Tom and had been caught peeping at Joy just a week before (gasps) the murders. Oh, my. Mm -hmm. Wow. So that is why I said maybe her death could be looked at more as a crime of passion because I think he could have potentially been lusting after her. Wow. Okay, I could totally see that. There were several odd things surrounding their behavior that the police took notice of. The two gave conflicting and changing statements to the police when they were questioned. And in the 80s, Mary went came back to Tallahassee to voluntarily talk to investigators and she openly suggested to them that Vernon, who she was then married to, had committed the murders. But then her motive of talking to them kind of became, they were dubious because then she started showing more interest in the reward money. So they're like, are you just saying this because you want the money? Are you saying it? Because it's actually true. Yeah, But still, we have to consider the fact that they gave those conflicting statements to the police. Mm-hmm. They're both kind of obsessed with the ones obsessed with death. The ones obsessed yeah. with a 12-year-old that's mm-hmm. molested and stabbed to death. Mm-hmm. 
But there was no hard evidence that led to any type of arrest. And Vernon has always denied, obviously, his involvement in these murders and has been active online commenting on the case. Like, you know, this is not me. I didn't do this. Okay. That type of thing. Mm. Allison Medium would also say that old investigators would later take to the internet to share their speculation that the killers had stayed back to clean up the crime scene and that they had to be someone from this neighborhood. So we even have people on the case taking to like Mm. amateur sleuths pretty much. Others though rejected this theory saying that Tallahassee's unsuspecting, like you mentioned, and virtually violent crime-free nature would have anybody opening doors for any stranger not necessarily someone from the neighborhood or they could just walk in on their own because doors were left unlocked and they're gonna know that people are gonna be preoccupied with the football Mm -hmm. game exactly so perhaps the sims family didn't go to the game but they're watching it on tv and so they're preoccupied by that and so they just kind of seize that opportunity but it would still have to be someone with, you know, that kind of just an intent to kill uh, is the best way mm-hmm. I could say it. So I don't know. I actually I was thinking in my head about, um, you know, Charles Manson and Helter Skelter and mm-hmm. them breaking in places just to to kill. But. I mean, Manson was in mm-hmm. prison until 1967. So, and he's all the way on the West Coast. So, but it, it I don't know why it gave me those kind of, of vibes. Well, you know who was not on the West Coast at this time, which it would have been, I think, a little early, would have been Ted Bundy. Because remember, he goes to Florida State University in 1978 into that sorority house and bludgeoned some of those girls to death. Mm-hmm. I read when I was in high school a book about Ted Bundy. See, my true crime obsession goes way, way back. Uh, but, <laughs> you know, when you look at all of his victims, though, he definitely had a type. And so I don't know if it mm-hmm. he necessarily would have gone from something like this kind of a crime to a very specific type so yeah if you asked me my gut out of those theories Mm -hmm. i would have to go to i know that the detective died thinking it was two teens my gut is telling me mary and vernon and i i don't have any proof obviously of that or else we wouldn't be talking about that case but with their um, kind of obsession with death, in addition to the, I guess, voyeuristic, you know, actions of Tom on on Joy earlier in that week or the week before, whenever it was that you said, uh, that's what the crime fits with those details to me yeah yeah i think i would say i'm leaning the same as the years pass it becomes more and more unlikely that we will ever know what happened to the sims family witnesses die information is forgotten or people move and forget but we hope that our listeners will take a moment to share today's case in the hopes that someone somewhere will remember something from the night or the nights that followed that could turn this case around. We hope that just maybe more investigative work will be done on the case and maybe this family and community can finally get some answers. Even if nothing changes in this case, I hope that we will keep Robert, Helen, and Joy's memories alive. As we close the chapter on today's episode, I want to remind you that behind every unsolved case lies a story waiting to be heard, a truth waiting to be uncovered, and justice waiting to be served. Cold cases may grow cold, and unsolved cases may remain unsolved, but they never fade away entirely. 
the victims and their families continue to search for answers and dedicated investigators persevere in their search for truth. It's a reminder that even in the darkest of circumstances, hope, determination, and the relentless pursuit of justice can shine through. Until next time, keep questioning, keep searching, and never underestimate the power of collective effort in the quest for justice. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Listeners, this makes me sad, even though it's a joyous time. But this will be Maggie's last episode for a bit because she's off to birth Mm -hmm. a human. And I'm so excited, so, so excited to meet him. But just to let you know, this is our farewell for now episode (laughs) to Maggie. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And our you are going to be a wonderful wonderful mom because you already are and he's not even here yet and just continue to pray like you do and Maggie is so gracious and grateful and humble about everything in Mm -hmm. her life and I know that she just approaches each day with gratitude and that's exactly what kind of an environment every baby deserves and so he's a lucky, lucky baby to have you and Anthony. And and we're lucky to have you here on the well, show. You're going to make me cry. And we'll just be even luckier when you come back. And remember, Sleuth Hounds, that Allison will be doing it, obviously, by herself, like she mentioned. So just in return, show her some grace and extra love because it will be hard for those weeks while I'm gone. So just drown her in kindness and support and love, please please (laughs) and with that i guess (laughs) i'll say it this time all of our love is going out to each and every one of you and for maggie it'll be a few weeks but for me until next week sleuth hounds spin your passion into a business with shopify and break sales records with the world's best converting checkout let's hear that one more time the world's best converting checkout. Shopify's legendary checkout makes it easier for customers to shop on your website, across social media, and everywhere in between. Now that's music to your ears. Any way you spin it, you can be a smash hit with Shopify. Start your dollar a month trial today at shopify.com records. Nom nom. <laughs>